Beyonce did nothing wrong when she interpolated part of Khalees' song Milkshake on her track Energy. So why did she end up removing it? And why did this whole scandal strike such a nerve? There's a lot of hypocrisy and there's a lot of nonsense. Actually, the drama is the latest in the long line of exposing just how tense and confusing a moment we're in when it comes to song authorship and royalties. Publishing was stolen, people were swindled out of rights, it happens all the time. In our day and age, the question of who owns a song and who's owed credit is murkier than ever. Artists like Ed Sheeran and Olivia Rodrigo have had to retroactively give writing credits on songs that neither sampled nor interpolated the artists who claimed they were plagiarized. These songs basically just happen to sound like something else. There are millions and millions and millions of combinations of notes out there. Coincidences happen. In the streaming era, Spotify and TikTok algorithms are the new hit makers, and they work by analyzing things that previously seemed intangible. Spotify wants to suggest songs based on emotional state. The TikTok formula is so defined by now, it's getting backlash. And interpolation is all the rage, even being taught to songwriters. Meanwhile, legal precedents have snowballed to a place where artists are told to essentially settle every claim, even if they have no merit. So has all of this gone way too far? All of it makes me sad. All of it. On the other hand, though, while Beyonce may not be wrong, Khalees, who never got a writing credit on Milkshake, is also right to raise a different unfairness. There's a long history of people's original contributions to music not being properly credited and fairly compensated. You want to talk about Pharrell time? Oh, cause I'm happy. I'd be happy too if I was stealing all kinds of folks publishing and rights to songs and all kinds of stuff. Here's our take on the Beyonce Khalees beef, the line between interpretation and plagiarism, and why artists today need to be able to make music freely without constantly looking over their shoulder. Historically, the laws around sampling, interpolation, and covering songs have been pretty clear. Anyone can cover someone else's material without having to ask permission, as long as it has a U.S. copyright and they pay standard royalties under the compulsory music license. It's something Prince was famously hugely opposed to. When all these people start popping up singing my songs, um, I'm, I'm not the one approving these. So I, I don't have any say-so over what that is. Ironically, though, using smaller sections of other works is more complicated. Samples, taking an existing recording of a song and mixing that into a new composition, need to be cleared with whoever owns the song. Interpolations, which create a new recording of an existing song's melody or part of the melody, don't require any clearance but still need writing credits to be given to whoever wrote the original song. Interpolation is what Beyonce did on Energy, drawing on the melody of Khalees' milkshake. And Beyonce did credit the official writers of that song, but because Khalees doesn't have a writing credit on Milkshake, she also didn't get one on Energy. Pharrell knows better. This is a direct hit at me. He does this stuff all the time. It's very petty. The watershed moment that led to this all getting so messy was the court case surrounding Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines. That song didn't sample or interpolate Marvin Gaye's Gotta Give It Up. However, it sounded a lot like it, and the writers of Blurred Lines lost the case because the song was said to have plagiarized the feel and groove of the Marvin Gaye song. This created a precedent that's led to other artists being told to quickly settle when challenged on the content of their own original music. Ed Sheeran gave TLC a writing credit on Shape of You because of its rhythmic similarity to No Scrubs. No, I don't want no scrub. Girl, you know I want your love. Olivia Rodrigo gave Paramore writing credits on Good For You because of its similarity to Misery Business. Mark Ronson did the same with the Gap Band because of the similarities between Uptown Funk and Oops Upside Your Head. 
and Sam Smith's team worked out a royalties deal with Tom Petty after Stay With Me was discovered to sound melodically similar to Petty's Won't Back Down. But now, artists are fighting back against this litigious landscape. Ed Sheeran and writing partner Johnny McDade recently won a lawsuit brought by British writer Sammy Chakri, who also claimed Shape of You plagiarized his song, Oh Why. Sheeran and his co-writers said they'd never heard that song, and the judge ruled Sheeran had neither deliberately nor subconsciously copied it. There's millions and millions of songs being put into the world, and there are only so many notes." Sheeran also said he regrets following legal advice to settle past cases, because while it might have made financial sense, he believes these claims falsely attack his artistic integrity, and they've opened the door to ever more claims that are simply coincidences. And I think from there, much like with the Blurred Lines case, the floodgates open, and they go, well, if you did that, then... So why is it that some songwriters get targeted and others don't? Noel Gallagher has openly said that the riff on cigarettes and alcohol is from T-Rex's song Get It On, but the only writer credited is Noel Gallagher. And then I done the riff and he's just going, whoa, <laughs> you can't f*** it, that's T-Rex. Mm. And I was like, I don't give a shit who it is. Elvis Costello was alerted to the similarity between Olivia Rodrigo's Brutal and his song Pump It Up, but responded by saying, it's how rock and roll works. You take the broken pieces of another thrill and make a brand new toy. That's what I did. Rock and roll, blues, folk, and many musical traditions have always thrived on artists passing down and reinterpreting each other's classic songs, ideally in a spirit of collaboration, mentorship, and conversation. That's not to say that this practice has always ended up being totally fair or uncontroversial. Controversial. You ain't nothing but a house. You ain't nothing but a house. There's a long history of white artists earning fortunes from songs originally performed by black musicians who didn't profit to anything like the same degree. Whether that's Elvis Presley's stratospheric fame built on reinterpreting hits from Big Mama Thornton and Big Joe Turner, or the Rolling Stones songs borrowing from blues masters like Robert Johnson and Muddy Waters. When Little Richard was deemed too transgressive for the mainstream, the more sanitized Pat Boone was given a lot of his songs and promoted in his place. These black artists never got the chance to be heard by larger audiences and earn the kind of money that Elvis and other artists who copied them did. But for a while, the status quo allowed space for a certain level of borrowing and reinterpretation that could fuel creative freedom and inspiration. Then, when hip-hop emerged, it changed all the rules around how these musical influences could and should be credited. The practice of sampling is the backbone of hip-hop as a musical genre. Arguably, it does the same thing that music has always done, transforming older influences into something original and new. But since it uses actual recordings, the tradition was set up that samples have to be backed up through a process of crediting and clearing. Nile Rodgers famously threatened to sue the writers of Rapper's Delight, one of the first hip-hop songs to break into the mainstream for its use of his song Good Times. Instead of this becoming a protracted legal battle, it was quickly and amicably settled. Everything wound up being great. Our names were added to the copyright, so if you look at a copy of Rapper's Delight, you know, it says right there that I'm the co-writer. Now, we're in the new, murkier era of interpolation, and there are some crucial differences. Interpolation isn't being developed as a grassroots folk art like hip-hop. It's coming from the music industry as a savvy tactic for mining multiple hits out of one. Tatiana Sirisano writes that publishing company Primary Wave, which has ownership of catalog hits getting interpolated today, like Olivia Newton-John's Physical, holds interpolation camps for songwriters, relying on the idea that a melody which was once a hit is bound to be a hit again. Do you get deja vu? 
On the plus side, this is potentially beneficial for the writers of older songs, who'll get a new windfall if their hit gets a second life. But at the same time, it's exposing what a wild west the music industry has long been in terms of who's gotten credit and who's gotten paid versus, sometimes, who's done the actual work. I did the vocal arrangements on there. Crimea River was like a huge yeah. song. I got $2,000, he got like $2 billion. Inside Lewin Davis explores the problem of struggling musicians like its protagonist Lewin being enticed to take a small upfront fee for a track they work on in lieu of a royalty because they need money then and there. $200. It's more than a session fee because you don't get royalties. Okay, that's fine. And I can cash it? Sure, right around the corner. But you don't go on a session sheet then. No royalties. And the industry is littered with stories of artists being exploited, getting locked into bad deals, or assigning away their rights to a royalty for low amounts of money. Van Morrison doesn't own the rights to his most famous album, Astral Weeks. The Verve get no money from their hit song, Bittersweet Symphony, because of a dispute with the Rolling Stones over a sample they thought they'd cleared. Artists now get criticized when their songs have a list of credited writers in the double figures. But this practice is probably long overdue. Which brings us back to Khalees and the central question this dispute really exposes. Why doesn't she have a writing credit on Milkshake? And he has writing credits on my records, okay, all my singles coincidentally, and he ain't ever wrote a song, a lyric, a day in his life. Moreover, since these post-blurred lines cases are as much about the feel and groove of a song, many who've leapt to Khalees' defense feel it's obvious that the feel and groove of that song is driven by her. When people think of Milkshake, it's Khalees they think of, not Pharrell or Chad Hugo, so she definitely is due some credit, but it's not really Beyonce who needs to be the one to give it to her. And Beyonce's decision to remove the interpolated portion of the song was more about the backlash than any admission of guilt or regret. Beyonce is conscious that damages her brand if anyone thinks she's exploited another artist. Could Beyonce have done more to pay respect to Khalees? Maybe yes. As Khalees said, a call out of courtesy would have been appropriate. All of this female empowerment, it only counts if you really do it. Still, in the grander scheme of things, Beyonce not only did everything by the book, but is far from the problem here. Overall, she's elevating the history of black music and black culture, paying respect to creators, movements, and genres of music whose influences have long been overlooked. There's something sad and cynical about a musical environment where every new hit is immediately slapped with threats of lawsuits. Arguably, interpolating is a transformative enough component of music that it shouldn't be policed at all. While it's important to give credit and compensation where it's due, there's also something to be gained by not standing guard over every small motif or melody, and the current moment is entering an extreme of litigiousness and paranoia that's hostile to creative freedom. How do you react now if someone basically lifts one of your melodies. Do you? It's, fla it's flattering or it's, um, I feel like I'm part of a culture, I'm, I'm part of uh, something bigger. Sampling is an art form that was born out of necessity. Working class black communities turned to sampling records because of the lack of access to real musical instruments. We took the fucking record player, the only thing that's playing music in our fucking crib and turned it into an instrument which it wasn't supposed to be. While it uses existing material, it has always done so in a way that transforms that material. These songs or motifs become colors and textures recontextualized into something new. And in the case of Renaissance, Beyonce's use of sampling and interpolation is completely in conversation with this new phase of her career. Beyonce is an artist who has always evolved from girl group member to actress to vocal diva to rapper to filmmaker, fashion designer, and now this modern day auteur of huge genre-defining cultural moments. After she done the dance,
Coachella got a renamed Coachella, the Beachella. The title Renaissance and the fact that this album is one of three implies the beginning of another period of evolution, a reframing or redefining herself as an artist, and perhaps a redefining of black music. Because what she's doing by leaning so heavily on dance and house influences and giving the appropriate credit is a lot like what classic folk and blues musicians would do, going through the vaults of songs passed down from one generation and giving them life for the next. Creating something that will live beyond me. That's what I want. Thanks for watching The Take. Make sure to subscribe and let us know what you want The Take on next.